today we want us to focus on the ministry that all of us have received, which is the ministry of reconciliation. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.18 that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation to reconcile the world to himself. And it is for this purpose that he has called us out. A people washed in his blood and saved by his grace. Otherwise, the minute we are saved, God might as well take us to heaven as well. But we remain here because we have a ministry, we have a purpose, we have work to do. The first thing I learn about ministry when I look at the story of Elijah, the whole sum of it, let's say, which culminates here, is that earthly ministries will come to an end. Elijah was a man who saved God faithfully, but eventually the time came for his ministry to end. For Elijah, this did not mean death. It meant he was translated to heaven. For Jesus as well, he was God's own son. God himself come down, Emmanuel, to be with us. But his ministry came to an end on this earth. The Bible tells us that in it, for everything, right, there's a time. Jesus lived for 33 years. He's had an intensive ministry for three years. He died and was resurrected. And he ascended to heaven as we commemorated this past Thursday. Wherever you might be serving God right now in this life, that ministry will come to an end. It might just be a season. It might be that God moves you to some other ministry because he has a different purpose for you. It might be that you leave the country completely. Many of us had a change of season to come here. You're here because God is starting something new, a new phase in your life. But what we know for sure is that the life we live here is temporary. Our earthly ministry is temporary because we look forward to a glory that will be revealed. The Bible tells us in Romans 8, verse 18 to 21. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. At IBCD, we have one of the slogans with which we describe the church as a home away from home, both in the sense that for many of us, we are away from our earthly homes. And so IBCD becomes the home, that family of faith that we have here. And in the other sense, that as we look forward to eternity, our final home, IBCD is the home which is away from home. And at IBCD, we experience a lot of change of season, probably much more intensely than a local church, which is serving maybe a local community. People come here for studies, people come here for work, and they're here only temporarily. Some it's a year, some it's just in months. While there are others who have been here maybe for 15, 20, 30 years, it's the minority at IBCD. The vast majority of people here are passing through. It's God bringing the nations through the doors and giving us a chance, a window of time together. That time comes to an end. And as people come and go, so too do ministries. People come with different gifts and talents. And when they come, they invest themselves, they pour themselves out into the body of Christ, encouraging people. I've known people who have been here just for months, but I've left footprints in my life that would last me a lifetime. But when those people move, then they move with those gifts and talents. And sometimes as a church, we struggle with that. Do we hold on to this ministry? Do we try to keep it going at all costs? 
And we've had to learn over time that for some things we need to let them go. Because it was a season, it came, and sometimes we've seen that cycle. The longer you're here, you see sometimes things come, go, and then come again as God brings people. There are different seasons, and people experience different seasons. And as a church, we have different seasons as well. But we have to find the right balance of trusting God with our lives, both personally and as a church, as those seasons come and go. And when things end, it's okay for us to grieve. We read of Jesus' sorrow as his time on earth came to an end. And we see him pray fervently in John 17 for his disciples. He knew he was leaving them. He knew it was going to be hard. We, see that we read of the disciples' sorrow as Jesus was about to leave. They grieved. We read of Elijah. The Bible says when Elijah was taken up, he tore his clothes and screamed out. That was tearing your clothes was a, a symbol in Jewish culture of mourning. They tore the clothes, they put on sackcloth or covered their head in ash. You read this over and over in the scripture. And it is okay to grieve when things end. But we grieve not as ones who do not have hope, the Bible tells us. Because we know that our home is yet to come. This is but a season. And as we look forward to those golden shores, we know that the things will come Time will pass here. Things will come and go. But our hope, our anchor is firm in Christ. And so when those things come and we grieve, we can still bow down before the Lord and say, not my will, but thine will be done. And this brings us to the next thing that I see in this passage is that the time and circumstances are really not up to us. When we read in the passage, if we read the whole story, which we started of Elijah last year. In the previous chapters, we see Elijah have a showdown on Mount Carmel against the prophets of Baal in an attempt to draw the children of Israel back to the Lord, to prove once and for all that Yahweh is the living God. After this happened, Elijah hit a very low point. And when he hit that point, Elijah was ready to die. And he tells God so. He's like, God, Look, this is the pinnacle of the career. That's like the climax in the story. I'm ready to go. I'm the only one. So he thought. But God had other plans for Elijah. God gives Elijah food and sends him on a journey in the desert. And he gets there. Well, he doesn't send him. He wanders and ends up and God finds him there. And God reminds Elijah that he still has work for him to do. God sends him to get Elisha as his successor. God reminds him that there are 7,000 other people in Israel whom he doesn't know about who have not bowed down to Baal. And so Elijah is given renewed purpose and work. God was not done with Elijah here. Also, as the end neared for Elijah, we see that there was a lot of anticipation. They knew that the day, this was the day, but they didn't know exactly when. So Elijah remains faithful in the service of God. Right? God tells him, go to Gilgal, he goes. Go to Bethel, he goes. Go to the Jordan. And at every time he's like offering Elisha, he's like, hey, you want to stay here? And Elisha is like, uh-uh, not happening. I'm going to be with you to the very last minute. He didn't know the exact time. This was in God's control. He didn't know if it was when they were going to Gilgal or when they were going to Bethel when he would be taken up. One thing he knew was that he had to keep obeying God every step of the way, even on that last day. We see a similar thing in the life and ministry of Paul. Paul was one who enjoyed traveling, planting churches, encouraging the believers, 
And he would go out into the synagogue in any city where he went to and argue and prove uh, to the Jews there from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the Christ. But the time came in Paul's ministry when God brought that season to a close and Paul was taken to prison and shipped to Rome. Now that might have looked for Paul to Paul like, yeah, it's, this is coming to an end and I am no longer going to have the opportunity to see the people, to preach, to fellowship with them. But God had other purposes. And Paul, while in prison, wrote many letters which formed the bulk of what we have today as the New Testament. God had a ministry for him that was going to transcend his time and encourage the believers for the ages. We do not get to hang up our boots and call it quits. We keep serving. We keep working until the master returns. Because the work is not our own. The ministry is not our own. The Bible says God has given us that ministry of reconciliation. It is him we serve first. We do not serve on our terms. We serve on his terms. And that is what a life surrendered to Christ means. A lot of times, you know, we sometimes want to serve God out of our convenience. You know, I'm going to do this here, do that here. I'm going to arrange my schedule. And as we're singing this last song about Christ, the cornerstone, that just came to me again, very alive. Like he is the foundation. It's not up to us. When he calls, we follow. We build on what he has built. Wherever you find yourself, do not stop serving God. Elijah obeyed God to travel three times. And travel back then was not easy. It was not like hopping in a car or a train. They walked great distances to go to the different places. But God kept sending him and he kept going. God sent him and he went around encouraging the people. Some of you here, you know, might be here just for a year. Or you came, maybe thinking you'll be here for a year. And 10 years later, you're still kicking around. And for others, maybe you came expecting to stay long. And after eight months, the company issues a recall and you have to move back. Or some other circumstances in life show up and you have to move. We have to remember that the God we serve calls us in the now. And so wherever we find ourselves and whatever time we serve him now on his terms and not ours, we do not get to say, oh, well, I'm going to be here 10 years. So the first one or two years, I'm just going to chill and do nothing. And then after a while, I'll start serving. If God is calling you to join in today, the fight, you have to join now. Because the timing is in his hand. The circumstances are in his hands. The end of one ministry phase does not necessarily mean the end of our service to God. Sometimes it can feel that way. I know for myself that when I moved to Germany the first time, I felt very, a bit like, ah, oh, maybe this is it. Like, you know, now it's like the work with God is just going to be in another phase of everything quiet. And it's been for me a very humbling journey to see the work that God prepared for me to do here if I would just trust him. And I'm sure there's more and he will continue to unfold that story. And it's the same for you, the same for all of us. And every time when we see experience a change, sometimes we feel like this is it. Sometimes the change is hard. But God is not done with us. Because the Bible tells us that God works all things for the good of those who love God and accord according to his promise. And that he has prepared work for us to do. That work was prepared in advance of our salvation. So God knew and called you for a purpose. And so what we need to do is to trust. Trust and obey. 
wherever you find yourself. No matter how temporary it looks or no matter how permanent it looks. What God wants is our obedience. And if we would give him that, then he would use us in ways that we would not imagine. The next thing that I learned from this is that we need to be prepared for the end. If we know that ministries will end. And if we know that the time and circumstances are not up to us. Then there is one thing we can do is to be prepared for the end. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 2 verses 1 and 2. It says, you then my son be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. For Elijah, this meant preparing Elisha. Now we know from looking at the timelines in Kings and Chronicles that it was several years from Mount Carmel until Elijah was taken up into heaven. So there was a lot of time that he had with Elisha to prepare him as a successor who will continue God's work in the northern kingdom when the days were evil. We also see that Elijah was visiting groups of prophets and encouraging them on his way out. And then it made me wonder, a few chapters before, there were no people who were openly worshipping God in Israel. Because they would be killed, they would be tortured. But in that time, that ministry had grown. And there were three companies of prophets that Elijah could go around and visit. That was the work that God had done in that time. From when Elijah thought he was done to when he was taken up. He had prepared a successor. He had raised up groups of prophets who were trained and were following the Lord. And were able to inspire the other people in the land. We read in 2 Kings 2. Then Elijah said to him. Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And then he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. And the company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Said, yes, I know, he replied. So be quiet. And we see this repeat itself. The company of the prophets knew who, this Eli who Elijah was. They even knew that he was going to be taken up. And that tells me that they were in constant communication, they were working together. We must prepare for the end. Elijah visited them to encourage them. Elijah had trained Elisha. We see this also in Paul's ministry. As his ministry came to a close and as Paul was being shipped to Rome, on his way, Paul stops at Ephesus and sends for the elders to come so that he might encourage them and speak with them one last time before he goes. And this is what Paul tells them. It's not Acts 13, it's Acts 20. I apologize for the mistake. If you're reading along, it's in Acts chapter 20, verses 32. Now come, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, that the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Paul had worked hard among the Ephesians. 
and he had prepared and appointed elders to carry on the work. And we see in the letters to Timothy and Titus, he also tells them to appoint elders in all the churches, to appoint people who can carry on the work because we can't do it alone. We see them grieving here, which we talked about before. They grieved that they won't see him again, but there were people to carry on the work. God's kingdom, the church which he has established will never end. What ministry are you serving in? Where has God placed you? In church, at work, among family and relatives? Are you doing what you can do to train others, to pass on that which you have received so that others may be blessed? To train other people who will continue the work after your season there ends? In church in particular, I know this is a, uh, a challenge sometimes as, as ministry leaders or coordinators because you're focused on the work itself. It's already taking so much time that, you know, it's easy to lose sight of the fact that a big part of the job is to training people, is to pass on what we've learned to people who can carry on that work. But this is what we must do. The gifts we have and the service we perform are not for their own sake, but for the benefit of the body of Christ. The Bible says for equipping the saints for the work of God. And so we must equip the saints. Service is a part of discipleship. And that's one of the reasons why we encourage everyone who's attending this church to be involved in something, to serve in one way or the other, because that's the way we get to touch each other's lives. That's the way we get to pass on what we have learned. Training in righteousness and equipping people to continue the work should be one of the main occupations of us in our ministries, whatever your ministry may be. Maybe it's just going out and doing outreach in the city of Dusseldorf and handing out tracts. You can take somebody along with you and train somebody who can carry on that work. What about the next generation of the church, the global church, not just IBCD? Here we know, for example, at IBCD that because of the way the church is, and we have a high turnover, most of the kids who are here are not going to be adults in this church. They're going to be adults in other places. That's just a fact of life for us. But we invest in them to teach them and train them because it's an investment in the church, the global church, an investment in God's kingdom. So a big thank you to all the Sunday school teachers out there who are week in, week out, enduring it and Doing it with joy. It's not, you know, I, I'm always amazed, you know, by the joy they bring to the job and how they have a heart for the kids. And sometimes they're there for weeks on end. And I thank you. And I encourage all of us, you know, they're always looking for helpers, always looking for people who can support them in one way or the other. And if that's you and you feel God speaking to you, invest in that. We also talked about the Awana ministry some weeks ago. Now we are looking to restart again. And Awana, Awana looks to disciple children in the word of God. That they memorize scripture. That they grow in it. Because we know that the kids' attention has been you know, fought for on all sides. There's TV. There's school. There's friends. Everything in their world is pointing them away from Christ. And so we have a responsibility to train them. To train that next generation. To prepare the church of the future. And so as you consider that, not parents and volunteers and ways that you can be involved, think about this not just as a ministry onto your kids here and now, but as an investment in the kingdom of God. Let our faith be backed up by our actions. This brings us to a close in our study, the life and ministry of Elijah. 
Elijah was a man who operated in the power of the Holy Spirit and served God in the northern kingdom of Israel in a time when it was dangerous to do so. Elijah is referenced in many other parts of scripture and is known as one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. In Malachi 4 verse 5 and 6, we read of the prophecy that Elijah is going to come again as a forerunner to the Messiah. And this prophecy is fulfilled in John the Baptist. And I encourage you, so when you get home, to read again and see those par parallels between John the Baptist and Elijah. You know, John the Baptist, how he dressed, what he ate, and the story of Elijah. It's always interesting to see you know, God's word come fulfilled and come full circle. And Jesus affirms that, this Elijah, um, that John the Baptist is the fulfillment of this prophecy in Matthew 17 verse 10. We also see Elijah again during the transfiguration. Jesus is transformed and Peter, James and John are with him. And they see Moses and Elijah show up. And the Bible tells us in Luke 9 verse 28 that they were talking about Jesus' departure. Elijah didn't, his service didn't end when he was taken up. In heaven, we're going to continue serving and worshiping God. Work that he has prepared in advance for us to do, which will bring us joy. So if you were looking forward to playing a harp on a cloud, I'm sorry to disappoint. Like, I don't think that's what it's going to be. But we'll see when we get there. For some people, that's like probably what they would dread more. than. <laughs> but yeah. Elijah was still there in the transfiguration. One day, we too have hope that we will be taken up to be with the Lord. As Elijah was taken up and as Jesus was taken up. We have this hope because we have put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And that faith gives us peace in the here and now. A peace like the world does not know. That no matter what happens... No matter the changes that we experience in this world, we have a future to look forward to. We have an anchor that, hold, that we hold on to. And sometimes the world will tell you, oh, those are things that people say as coping mechanism, right? Oh, Christianity, people just want to comfort themselves, not to face the harsh reality of the world. So they tell themselves stories. But we know that being a Christian doesn't make your life any easier. We still have the same challenges. We still live in a fallen world. The difference is that we have a peace, we have a purpose, we have a future that is promised to us. And the Holy Spirit is given to us as a guarantee of this future, as a seal that God has put on our lives. That by putting our faith in him, by trusting the completed work of Christ on the cross, we gain salvation, we gain forgiveness of our sins. And then we no longer have a righteousness that we try to earn. But as we sang, our righteousness is in the blood and the righteousness of Christ. So if you've not yet put your trust in that Savior, I encourage you to do so today. Jesus extends the invitation and tells us, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and day with me. Because in him we will find fulfillment, we will find peace, we will find strength for the changing seasons and we will have a hope in the future to come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you that we can be reminded today of things that we probably already know. But it's good to be reminded ever so often. 
that our work here is going to come to an end. That you are sovereign. You control the times and the circumstances. And that we, God, just need to be faithful to do the work that you have prepared for us to do and leave the rest up to you. Lord, we pray that may we take this message to heart. That even as we are reminded, may your spirit quicken your word in our hearts and may it bear fruit, O oh God. Fruit in our actions, in the way we live, with a heavenly perspective, with a view, O oh God, of things to come. And in that way, O oh God, we will shine your light in the world and show the world that there is a different way to live and that you are the one who ordains our path. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing of today, for the blessing of fellowship, for the blessing of children. We lift up your name forever in Jesus' name. Amen.